Alrighty. Hey, welcome. If you're listening on the podcast or watching on the website as well, uh, we're in part something, 16 or something like that, of working through the Gospel of Mark, and Elise is going to read from us from for us from chapter 6. Just watch the court. Morning, everybody. Uh, so, yeah, Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 29. Uh, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Uh, Then they scoffed, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told him, a prophet is honoured everywhere except his hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them, except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went from village to village, teaching the people, and he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, Shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned these people to their fate. So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. They cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Herod Antipas, the king, soon soon heard about Jesus because everyone was saying, sorry, because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. Others said, he's the prophet Elijah. Still others said, he's a prophet, like the other great prophets of the past. When Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has come back from the dead. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favour to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. But Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. Herodias's chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Ask for anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. He even vowed, I will give you whatever you ask for, even up to half my kingdom. She went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? Her mother told her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. And the king deeply regretted what he had said. Because of the vows he made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it, to, bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought back his head on a tray and gave it to the girl, who took it to her mother. When John's disciples heard about what happened, they came to get his body and buried it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord.
Alrighty, so long one today, 29 verses uh, with three different sections which we're going to explore. I want to start with an illustration and uh, I need a volunteer um, and we might need a, just so people online can see the illustration, so we might need to use the camera, um, Martin, but uh, Michael, um, okay, Tim with Michael's name badge on, um, can I have you as a, as a volunteer for me? Tim, you're just going to close your eyes. And you're going to walk straight forward after I, um, after I turn you around a little bit. Everybody else, you need to instruct Tim as to what he needs to do when he's about to hurt himself, all right? Now, if, I'm, if, if, if they fail, I'll be there to stop you, okay? But you just need to tell him what he needs to do when he's about to run into something, okay? So close your eyes. All righty. Ready and walk. No, 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 keep walking, keep walking, cast up. Keep walking, keep walking, keep walking. Okay, okay. Thanks for the three people who shouted stop. Okay. Uh, next, what we're going to do is you're not allowed to say stop, okay? Now, you have to keep walking at the same pace. You can't actually stop. You just need to do what they say when they say it, all right? So we'll turn you around a little bit. Okay, so ready? You need to say anything to direct him in the right direction as a crowd, but don't say stop. He cannot stop. He has to keep going at the same pace. One, two, three, go. Okay, that didn't work particularly well. What we'll do, a few too many people, what we're going to do is just one person. Uh, let's go with Aaron. Okay, there's going to be, close your eyes. The instruction on the screen, this is what I need you to use for him. Hopefully it comes up, okay? That's what you're going to need to do, right? So very clear instruction for Tim when he gets to the point where he needs to do that, okay? One, two, three, walk. Keep walking, keep walking, keep walking. Listen for the instruction. Hey, there we go. Should we try it again? No, that's good, that's good. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. So these three passages that we... uh, read today in Mark chapter 6, are about the message of the good news that Jesus declares and then he gets his disciples to declare and that John is declaring to uh, the King Herod about, in essence, this, this word repent. Now, that word gets a really bad rap because it sort of sounds like this religious, judgmental kind of repent of your sins, you're going to hell kind of thing. It's, it's actually grounded in love and grace. It's like this illustration we've just seen where it's turn around. If you're going to run into something which is going to hurt you or if you're going to be blocked by something, um, turn around, go the other way, and you'll find a path that is straight and safe for you and also life-giving. So the word repent means this, turned around. Sometimes it it can mean something like change your thinking. Turn, turn around. So today as we explore these passages, um, Jesus being rejected in his hometown, his disciples being sent out, and then John the Baptist and King Herod, the questions that we want to ask for ourselves is really two, two things, two sides of the same coin. Are we declaring that message to call people to turn around, to walk towards a better way, to walk to, away from self and towards God, And then are we accepting and responding to that message ourselves? Are we both proclaimers and are we recipients and responders? 
So let me pray, and uh, then we're going to do a little reflection on these passages we've read. Thank you, God, for this time that we have together this morning, just to be uh, the family of God, to, to, to look to you and to, um, to look at our, into our own lives and to consider how we're taking up the mission we are called to, to share the gospel, to call people to turn around towards you because that is life-giving, and how we are receiving this message, responding to it, how we have soft hearts that may become uh, recipients of this good news message and then bear fruit, transforming the lives of our communities and those around us. We, uh, we just want to humble ourselves before you this morning, God, and ask that you would speak to us, ask that you would soften our hearts, that we may more readily hear what you have to say to us and what you have to give to us. And uh, we are just thankful that we have the scriptures to steer us in the right direction and that we have your spirit uh, to steer us in the right direction. We just give this time to you and pray that it be yours in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's three sections uh, and they're all... They will kind of have this theme of rejection. Jesus first is rejected in his hometown to the people who he grew up with. He shares the, the message, and unlike the other places, they say, we, we, don't, we don't accept this. He then says to his disciples, you know what? When you go out to share this message in all the towns and cities and regions around here, sometimes they're going to accept it, but sometimes they're going to say, we don't want to hear this. We don't want to accept you and they're going to reject it. In those cases, wipe the dust off your feet and move on. And then we hear about King Herod having this experience with John the Baptist, who he compares to Jesus. But John the Baptist is telling him, you need to turn around from what you've done, and that is you've married your brother's wife. It's not that his brother had died or anything. You've gone and stolen his wife. You need to turn away from that. And Herod kind of rejects that as well because, of, because he doesn't want to change, even though... He, he does have some kind of an ear for what John is saying. Um, everything that we've read so far from Mark chapter 4 up into these passages today, so the end of chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, what they are doing is kind of pointing back to the parables that we read in chapter 4. Now, if you're visiting here this morning, we've been working through the Gospel of Mark, a 16-chapter version of uh, the account of Jesus' life. And uh, a few chapters have been basically showing in practice what these stories Jesus told were about. Stories about seeds and trees, seeds and plants, where seeds planted grow up into uh, things in the spiritual. The kingdom of God starts with small things. And uh, we are to have soft hearts like soft soil that those seeds can be planted in. So everything's pointing to the parables, and when we read these stories that we've read today, these, these accounts, it should take us back to the parable of the sower and the soils. So in the sower and the soils, we have the hard ground, the thorny ground, the rocky ground, and then the soft soil where the seed takes root and, bears and, and grows and bears fruit in our lives. Um, so in Jesus' hometown, there is something that causes the rejection something that causes the seed, the message, to just bounce off the footpath. And it's something very subtle, but very uh, strong and very powerful in our lives, and that is familiarity. The familiarity with Jesus meant, if we can go to that slide, uh, meant that they just went, you know what, Jesus, we grew up with you. Your dad's a builder. You've been building up until... 
till this time. What, what, what it, we don't really get this stuff you're talking They were just so familiar with Jesus, the person that they knew, who they grew up with, that they rejected his message. Then when Jesus sends out the disciples, um, they, he, he says, you're going to experience something in the people you preach to. And he expand, Jesus, uh, there's an expanded version of this in Luke chapter 9 and 10. But it's essentially this. Some people will like you, they'll welcome you into their home, they'll open their table, their fridge to you, and they'll accept you, and that will be a sign that they're also going to accept your message. But others will just be content with where they are at present. And so that's our second thing that causes rejection is contentment. If they're content, if they're just like, you know what, our lives are fine without you disciples of Jesus, there's a, there's a barrier to the message that causes rejection. And then thirdly, in the story with John and Herod, we see this very interesting sentence. Herod respected John, if we go to that slide, and knowing that he was good and holy, a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. What's going on there? He senses that John is, there's something special, there's something life-giving and right about the message he is preaching and what he is telling Herod. But even still, he is drawn away, he is compromised by another desire. And that's the third thing that can cause rejection if we go to, yeah, that's like compromise. There's another love, another desire which draws him away from living in God's way. So familiarity, contentment, and compromise. This is really helpful as we as brothers and sisters in Christ go together to preach the gospel, to go out and to share the good news of Jesus' love and forgiveness that would draw us back towards God and restore the relationship. It's, this is really helpful as we go and declare that message because it helps guide us as to how we might, what we might know, what we understand might be the response, might be the rejection, and how to deal with that. Uh, sometimes people will just be too familiar with you, with you and I because we're in their family or we've been friends with them since we've grown up or whatever the case may be. And so we'll go to them and go, hey, you know, I've discovered that it's just it, there's a better life available when I turn away from living for myself and I turn towards God. Firstly, there's grace and forgiveness. I feel freed from living from the effects of living for myself, but there's also a blessing and healing towards God, and they kind of go, oh, that's nice, what's for dinner? Because they're just too familiar with you and maybe familiar with who they believe Jesus to be as well. Maybe the Sunday school version of what they've grown up with or something like that. This, uh, this happens to pastors as well, believe it or not. Uh, I could preach for three years on the same topic of or whatever it might be, God's love and grace, and, and, and you would all just, because there's a familiarity, would go, oh, that's interesting. And then somebody else could come in and preach exactly the same thing, and your response would be, oh my goodness, this is life-transforming. Jesus has transformed my heart. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm not jaded about it. I just, um, I, I just know that it's true. There's a familiarity that settles into our hearts as human beings that sometimes we have to go, huh, maybe just because I'm familiar with this doesn't mean that I know the full story here. Other times people will be content and 
in those times we have to take Jesus' advice, which is this. If they welcome you in, if they like you, if they open their table to you, then stay and share. Don't take a backpack and money and supplies. Just accept the hospitality that you receive. If somebody is open to you as a person, it's the beginning and a sign of an openness to Jesus in you. But if they don't, if they're content with their life, if they're content to not hear the Christian message, then there's no pressure to stay and bash them over the head with a Bible. In fact, it would probably be not a good thing to do. In fact, just move on and maybe there'll be somebody else who they will welcome in, who they will be a person of peace too. That's the term Jesus uses. And then other times, those we share the message with will be compromised, just like Herod with John the Baptist. And it's really hard to read about John the Baptist because ultimately, in being faithful to Jesus, he lost his head. And we don't really like that. But he was compared with Jesus. John, Herod thought, this guy's like Jesus. He thought he was Jesus. Uh, he thought Jesus was John come back from the dead. And, and when John shared the truth, it, we have to believe it planted a seed in Herod's heart Herod was torn, and so there was at least now a pull towards God and away from sin, even though it ended badly for John. He was found faithful in declaring the gospel, the good news, as he served God. I think that as we go to share the gospel, as we go to share the good news as the church, as people of God, so often we've got something wrong, and that is that we have assumed that the power of the good news that there is grace and love and forgiveness and a better way in turning to God and eternal life and joy. So often we have thought that the power is in the delivery. If we can just say it and declare it and tell it in this beautiful story kind of way, in such a way that their hearts are just captured and it's eloquent and it's amazing, then they'll go, oh my goodness, now why didn't you tell me that before? Now I will respond to the gospel. We think the power is in the delivery. And in fact, that is not what the Scriptures teach us. Romans chapter 1, for example, says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Not I am not ashamed of the gospel, because I am an eloquent speaker, and when I preach the gospel, God uses that to bring it alive. No, it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. I heard this spoken about recently and stories of people just sharing the gospel with the very simple you know, cross on the napkin that shows the bridge between God and us and how Jesus bridged that with the cross and very unsexy presentation of the gospel. And I was thinking, oh, but is, is this true in my experience? Is this true that it's not in the delivery? It's actually just in the gospel itself. And I realized, yes, it absolutely is. The experiences I've had where I've had the absolute privilege of leading somebody into relationship with Jesus, the story has been, in one case, I've sat down with them for coffee and I've gone, this is what I know about God's love, this is what I believe it means to respond to God's love, and they're like, yeah, that's, that's cool, like, I've, I haven't heard this before, I'm not really ready yet, I'm not really at that point yet. And then a few days later, not when I'm sitting down with them, not when I'm eloquently speaking to them, a few days later they call me up and they go, I was in my gym class I felt the presence of God on my life. I went outside. I felt convicted of my sin. I fell down and I gave my life to Jesus and now I've been transformed. And I'm like, oh, uh, sweet. 
That's awesome. Not at the time of an of a eloquent delivery of the gospel. Another time, I think I was preaching on money here. And somewhere within preaching on money, I was sharing the good news and someone gave their life to Jesus. Actually, I think I, that happened twice. Maybe I should preach more on money. I don't know. So it's not in the delivery. The power is in the gospel. And so my simple invitation, if I was to, well, I will give an invitation now, is, is to say, here's the gospel. God has come near to you. He wants you to turn away from living for yourself and towards him. He wants to give you grace and forgiveness. He forgive, he's not going to hold anything against you. He wants to welcome you into his arms, and he wants to live with you and help you turn towards a direction which is living towards him for the rest of your life, for eternity with him. Uh, if you want to pray together afterwards because you don't know how to do that, I would love to do it. The end. <laughs> That's the good news. God wants a relationship with you. And our invitation each week is come into relationship with, Je- with God through Jesus. There is nothing stopping you. So a quick summary. As declarers of the gospel, uh, we, can appro- we can come up against familiarity. We can come up against contentment, we can come up against a compromise where other things are drawing people away, even though they sense there's something true in it. Um, We are to simply be faithful in declaring the message, to not be ashamed of it, and to let God do his thing in the message itself. On the flip side, we are like soil. If we go to the parable of the seeds and the soil, we we are like soil. We are recipients of the power of the gospel in our lives. We are to receive the message respond to the, to, to the call to repent, to turn around and walk towards God. Um, and there are some promises in the Bible that show us that it is not just a promise of grace and forgiveness, i.e. if you stop sinning, then things will go better for you because Jesus will forgive you. But if you both stop, Jesus will give you forgiveness. And if you turn, there will be healing and restoration and blessing as you walk with God and towards God. Acts chapter 3, verses 19 to 20 is a couple of verses which have just gripped my heart since we had our 10 days of prayer recently, which is an, it's just an amazing promise. Now repent, turn from your sins, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. That's one part. But then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. As we turn around 180 degrees, not only do we find grace and forgiveness, which is so important to help us to know it's worth turning around, that Jesus forgives us unconditionally, but we also experience God more fully in the grace and joy and peace that comes from his presence in our life. Not just omnipresence, as in God is everywhere kind of presence, but his manifest presence, him becoming more present, more sensed, in our lives, that he is here with us and we know it. Repentance is the spark of that. Second Chronicles 7 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Will heal their land. This happens on an individual level, happens on a church level, it happens on a land level, communities, nations. As we turn away from ourselves and towards God, God will bring healing. So the question we want to ask ourselves today, I think, is have we been familiar? Have we been content? 
with the way we are living and how our relationship with God is, and have we sometimes been compromised? A couple of examples that I think we have realised this and responded, or maybe are still doing so. Um, First of all, with regards to familiarity, a couple of weeks ago we had Pentecost Sunday and we gave just extra time to spend in prayer. We gave extra time to worship God, sung some songs, a bit of a space for prayer, sung a song, a bit of space for prayer. And, and one, of our, one of our leaders um, uh, within that space um, prayed a prayer um, on our behalf of repentance. Essentially, it was repentance from familiarity. It was, it was saying, God, we are sorry for when we have been so just assuming about who a person next to us in this congregation is and what they bring to the body of Christ, what they bring to this family, who they are, what they have to contribute, what they believe and how that fits in with us. And because we've been just so familiar and just so assuming about that, we've trodden on them and we've hurt them and we've said things and done things which have neglected what they have to bring to this body. And one of our leaders prayed, Lord, we are sorry for that. And I believe that that moment in that day was the most powerful moment of the whole morning. I actually think it might have been the most powerful moment of our whole year so far as a church when we prayed that prayer. I believe that when we prayed that, something began to shift because we said, God, we want to turn away from what we probably didn't even realize was selfishness and sin towards you and what you want of us. In terms of being content, I want to share something that I think I need to repent of and maybe some of us as well. And that is uh, in relation to our reaching out to the lost, to those who are not yet followers of Jesus or new followers of Jesus. Over the last couple of years, we have seen quite a few people in relation to maybe the the history of the Billabong, quite a few people come to faith in Jesus, being restored to new life in Christ, being baptised, and then as new Christians in the family have, have brought along others to the family um, to, so that they could hear the good news message as well. Um, and then over time, as we've started to experience that, what I have sensed happening, and it might just be perceived, so maybe I'm the only one who needs to repent of this, but I, what my sense has been is that as we have needed to nurture these uh, babies in the faith, because that is what we believe coming to Jesus is, it's a new birth to new life in Christ. And so people who are, who, are Christ, who are baby Christians need nurturing and need us to make space for them and need us who have been walking with Jesus a little bit longer to help to feed them and help to uh, accommodate them and to show them how to live in this way of Jesus. As we have needed to do that, my perception had been that this was becoming uncomfortable and not particularly fun for the rest of us as mature Christians. And so we have started to, to sort of have these rumblings of, well, what about, what about the stuff that we really need to go deeper in the faith? What about going deeper into the Word? What about a, a, a deeper level of, of prayer and the gifts of the Spirit? What about serving the poor? What about uh, uh, pastoral care? And what about discipleship systems and, 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 and courses? And, things? and all of those things are really, really good. Don't get me wrong. They're all really needed. But we started to go, well, what about what we need as Christians? And so my natural response was to go, I don't like that pressure. 
So I'll start easing off the evangelism stuff and easing off the nurturing new Christian stuff. We won't run any more Alpha courses for a little while. Let's not call people to respond to Jesus because it's kind of awkward if we do that and nobody actually responds. Um, maybe we'll wait a little while before we call to any, you know, do a call for any more baptisms and we sort of put the pressure off. And for that, I want to repent. And I don't just mean I want to say sorry that we did that. I want to say I want to turn back around again and start walking towards Jesus again who says we need to call people to faith and we need to set aside our agendas to nurture people who are young in the faith as a community. I'm glad that some of those people who were baptised in the last two or three years are still part of our fellowship and I'm burdened by the fact that so many of them have drifted away because we've just become too content with our own Christianity. In terms of being compromised, I think this is one of those ones, though, where uh, it can be anything. We are compromised on an individual level by just so many things that distract us from Jesus. In the case of Herod and John the Baptist, it was a, a, a tried and true desire that pulls us away from God. It was sexuality. It was sexual desire. So many of us have experienced that the, the strength of our sexual, sexual drive to be pulling us away in one way or another from the life God has for us, the boundaries, the guidelines that he puts in place for us to live a healthy sexuality in line with his will. But it could be anything. It could be Good things, bad things, good things that are turned into things that are in the place of God. The gospel is this, that when we have compromised and when we have drifted back over that direction again, the gospel is that there is forgiveness. The gospel is that there is grace. The gospel is that God doesn't go, you know what, sort yourself out and then you can come back to me. The gospel is that God is a father who when we simply turn to him, head down ashamed, he runs towards us and says, it's okay, you're my son, you're my daughter, come back to the family. So what are the things that compromise us? What do we need to repent of? What do we need to turn from? If you had a camera on you all week and you were given a video recording from uh, hidden cameras in all the rooms and places you tend to hang out during this last week, what would it say that you love more than Jesus? I'll go first, and then it's your turn. Uh, no, you can do this with somebody else later. Uh, I, um, I, for me, it would be that if a camera was in my living room, it would say I love Instagram more than I love Jesus. This, just, I'm just talking about this last week. If, I, if a camera was in uh, the cafe space that we have at this, in this facility, it would say that I love coffee just a little bit more than I love Jesus. If a camera was in our prayer room, hopefully it should say that I love Jesus, and that's it. But it would probably also say that I love attention because of the amount of times I check my messages and emails in between distracted prayers. If a camera was uh, in my, the gym that I go to, it would probably say I love wisdom and knowledge more than I love Jesus because more than half the time, if it was to zoom in on my phone, it would see all the podcasts that I chew through rather than just sometimes turning that off and spending time with God while I'm on the exercise bike or something. And if a camera was in this room during the week, it would probably say that I love technology and, and stage design and room set up more than I love Jesus, because obviously that's going to bring the presence of God on Sunday morning. 
not really. If a camera was on you all week, what would it tell you? And I'm not just talking about, like, you know, the times I wasn't praying if, as if praying is equated with loving Jesus. We can love Jesus through loving our family. We can love Jesus through serving the poor, the lost, the least, the last. We can love Jesus by serving here. We can love Jesus in a whole host of ways, even by stopping um, in, in, in our busy lives and having silence. What we know, though, is whether we've become too familiar as a community or individual, too content or too compromised. Repentance is the key. Turning around, simply turning away from that thing and turning back towards God is all that's required. Second Chronicles 7, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will pray, will seek my face and turn from their ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and will heal their land. And I absolutely believe this applies on an individual level. But as we turn around, as we together repent, I believe God begins to do something that is not just a nice feeling of forgiveness, although forgiveness is so key in this whole thing, knowing the grace of God. But then we also begin to experience a healing, a transformation. And if we to see our vision of seeing communities around us transformed through the family thriving as a people of God, thriving our family of God, transforming our communities, then it starts with this spark, this seed of turning around repentance. That tree over there represents our vision for the kingdom of God to come on earth, starting with little seeds that will grow up into something uh, something big. Um, you might notice that there's a few dead leaves on the outside, and I've purposely left them there for the time being, and maybe even let it happen, although that's probably just my neglect of, um, of, of watering. Uh, I've left them there to say this is what happens when the vision that we have, when we neglect this, the, the, the nurturing that needs to happen for it to stay healthy. When we start to neglect prayer and service and repentance and humility before God in all times, every week, every day, as individuals and as, an, and as a community, the vision begins to dry up. The vision begins to die. And so let's be seed planters. Let's be waterers of the vision, nurturers of these small things which God calls us to, that he may be the one who heals our land, that he may be the one who would transform our communities. I'm, uh, I'm finished. We're going to sing a song in a second that is uh, based on um, Isaiah 6, 8 and Second Chronicles, which is really these two things we've talked about today. Us as the proclaimer, the ones who are sent to go and share the good news, and those who are recipients who are to humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, and turn from our ways. Second uh, Chronicles uh, chapter 7, verse 14. This song's called Send Me. That's what the chorus is. And then in the, the bridge we sing um, this. We basically sing in song the Second Chronicles pa- passage. So let's be people who, as we humble ourselves, as we seek God's face, as we begin to turn from our ways and, and actually be on our knees in prayer, that he would then birth something in us that makes us want to be a sent people, to go out to share the good news. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing among us. Um, 
Lord, I sense that there are just small little things, small shifts in our heart as a community and as individuals and as families and as life groups uh, where you are just transforming our heart in, in small little ways which might seem insignificant but, Lord, are ultimately going to birth the kingdom of God on earth in this region. And, Father, I pray that as we seek you, as we come before you, and as we stand in your presence and recognize our own brokenness, we recognize our failings, and as we are moved to then lay our sin before you and then run towards you. Lord, we pray that your healing would come. We pray that you would restore brokenness, that you, you would heal of generational re- rebellion against you. That our hearts would be transformed and that that would overflow into the lives of our communities. Lord God, we humble ourselves and say we we need you. We're sorry for the times we've walked away from you. We commit ourselves to prayer, just to being in your presence. We want to seek your face. We want to do nothing if it's not led, driven, motivated by you, Lord God. And we want to turn from our own ways and run towards you. So as we sing this, may you begin to transform our hearts in that direction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.